Luke 1.26, if you'll stand one last time, we're going to read uh, the, the text for today. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There will be no end. Let me stop for just a quick second where he says, and he will give to him the throne of his father, David. If you notice in the narrative, Joseph's from the house of David and he's not Jesus' father. It says nothing about the lineage of Mary there in that text. And the reason for that is that Jesus is getting the eternal throne of David, right? Not the now we know that Mary is from David's lineage, but it's not emphasized in this text because Luke wants to emphasize the fact that his throne is eternal. Just just a little textual note there. Uh, take it for what it's worth. We'll move on to verse number thirty-four. And Mary said to the angel, "How will this be, since I am a virgin?" And the angel answered her, "This Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born." will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let us pray together. Lord, we thank you for... The, the account of Jesus' birth from the book of Luke, we thank you for this passage today and the hope that Jesus gives us in, um, or the scripture gives us in knowing our salvation. I pray today as we go through the text and, and look at what God wants us to, to know in this text, that our hearts will be filled and our minds will be full of joy and that we will go out from here thanking the Lord for his great salvation. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. This is commonly called the Annunciation, uh, the announcement of Jesus' birth. And if you remember from last week, John came first, didn't he? Uh, John's birth was announced first by the angel Gabriel. John was the forerunner. He was a messenger he was the one who was the voice in the wilderness. He was sent ahead to announce the coming of the king. Then came Jesus, his majesty the king, to seek and to save the lost. Isn't that wonderful? In the opening chapters of Luke, their stories are laid out side by side. John the Baptist first, Jesus second, and it was for comparison and contrast. John and Jesus, two cousins, Two pregnancies, two hymns of praise, two deliveries, the beginning of two great lives. There are so many similarities of the, the stories. They're striking. Both were 
announced by angels. Both were announced by godly women who, apart from divine intervention, were unable to bear children. Yet for all their similarities, what Luke wants us to see in these two birth announcements are the great differences. Who is greater, John or Jesus? Jesus is. Remember Luke 1.15, John would be great before the Lord, but John, or I'm sorry, Luke 1.15, Luke 1.32, but Jesus will be great, no qualification whatsoever. The Son of the Most High God, John would be filled with the Holy Spirit, but Jesus would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. John would prepare for God's coming, but when Jesus came, God was there in the flesh. Who's greater, John or Jesus? John would be holy. He would be set apart, similar to the Nazarite. But Jesus was holy because he was born of a virgin and conceived of the Holy Spirit. Luke's argument here is from lesser to greater, to give more glory to Jesus. That's a very common argument in ancient times. Jesus did it all the time. Do you remember in, when he was talking to, about worry and he said, Consider the lilies of the field, how beautiful, beautiful they are, how arrayed they are. And he said, even Solomon in his glory is not arrayed like one of these. And then he said what? You are greater than them. Lesser to greater. When Jesus talked about the birds of the air and how God sustained them, he turned around to the people and said, if God sustains them, how much more is he going to sustain you because you are greater than them? That's the argument going on here from the book of Luke. Luke argues from lesser to greater to give more glory to Jesus. Jesus was like John, but superior in every respect. He was infinitely superior to John. And so we have in this account, this lesser to greater argument. We see, first of all, that Gabriel comes and greets uh, Mary. He, he announces the birth. The birth of Jesus, like the birth of John, was announced by the angel Gabriel. Look at verse number 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. I don't have time to unpack what, what his exact language is. The word greetings is, it's okay uh, translation, but it almost makes it sound like greetings earthling type thing, doesn't it? We don't use that kind of term anymore. But it's, it's a wonderful, it, it literally means have favor, O favored one, is the way that you would read it. O favored one, have favor. The Lord is with you. And it's doubtful whether Gabriel could have found a more unlikely person anywhere in Israel to have this birth given to. Ma Mary was, was among the most lowly in Israel. Possibly as young as 12 or 13. We don't know how old she was. But we do know from history that many times the betrothal age was 12 to 13. That's what ancient historians tell us. That's where we get that idea from. Most likely, she was a very young teenager in that awkward stage between childhood and womanhood. 
And like many people in Israel, she was poor. She was uneducated. She was a, she was a peasant living in a small country town far away from the center of power. Jerusalem was the center of power. Galilee was a backwater. Nazareth was even less so. Mary was also a female in a culture that, was dis- that discounted women. From merely a human perspective, she was absolutely one of the most insignificant people in Israel. And yet, Gabriel, you'll see in a minute, was sent from the throne, right? To talk to her, of all people. Mary was given the greatest honor that, that any woman had ever been given. She was chosen to be the mother of Jesus. And her lowly estate was part of God's plan, wasn't it? And Jesus wasn't born to just any woman. He was born to some of the lowliest of the women in Israel. God was beginning to show what, what humiliation his son would have to endure for the salvation of sinners. That's just part of the humiliation. Martin Luther observed that God might well have gone to Jerusalem and picked Caiaphas' daughter, who was fair and rich and clad in gold and embroidered raiment and uh, attended by a retinue of maids in waiting. But God preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. That's what Martin Luther said about it. God preferred this because the plan of salvation required Jesus to humble himself, and only then can he be exalted. And that is the pattern of our salvation as well, is it not? We must humble ourselves. Jesus humbled himself, Philippians 2, to the form of a servant, right? And was crucified on the cross. And if we are going to attain salvation, not obtain, attain sal- or obtain, not attain, okay? We don't attain salvation, we obtain it. We do it. Everybody got that, right? I'm not saying we work for our salvation. Make sure nobody's thinking that. The only way, we have, to, we have to humble ourselves. We have to tell God, God, I'm a sinner, you are not. God, I cannot save myself, but you can. We have to humble ourselves. God's grace is for the lowly. God certainly showed uh, grace to Mary, didn't he? This is the meaning of a salutation of, of Gabriel. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. God was with her to bless her, but he wasn't with her to bless her because she had merit. She had no merit. It was because of his grace he chose to bless her. And that is true of salvation. Salvation comes by grace. The word the angel used for favor comes from the Greek word for, for, for grace, charis. It's a, it's a derivative of it. And it means to be treated with undeserved kindness. Greetings, O one who we are going to treat with undeserved kindness. And it's important to know what to believe about Mary because many people believe the wrong thing about Mary, don't they? They, they go so wrong at this point. It never says in the Bible that she was without sin. There's only been one without sin, right? It never says that she remained a virgin. Or it never says that she was able to give grace to sinners. 
But what does the Bible say? Beyond the fact that she was the mother of Jesus, she, just like everybody else, is saved by grace. She's saved by grace. The way Mary helps us is not by giving us grace, but showing us that God can give us the same kind of grace that he gave her. So quite literally, not in the same way, but quite literally, all of us who are in Christ are favored ones. Isn't that wonderful? How are we favored? We are favored because when God, Bo mentioned it today, when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And he loves Christ. He's loved Christ from the foundation of the world. And he loves us with the same love that he loves Christ. That's favor beyond all recognition above our imagination, isn't it? It's wonderful favor. And so she, since she received grace from God, her example proves that God shows unmerited favor to lowly sinners. Even and I want you to think about this, because I believe this is a common thought uh, with people. Even when we feel small and insignificant, we feel overlooked by the world, we can know that God is for us because he set his favor on us at the moment of our salvation. Wonderful truth. Gabriel's greeting shows God's grace for the lowly. But secondly, the second thing we see is Gabriel's announcement in this narrative. Look at the announcement. Because, because what Gabriel said was meant to be reassuring, but Mary was troubled. Verse number 29, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Naturally, Mary wanted to know what it meant. What was happening? Why was an angel talking to her? What, what had he come to say? Well, he didn't keep her in suspense um, but followed the greeting with an announcement. And the, the announcement, if you look at the narrative structure, is in two parts. And it's, it's divided by a question that Mary asks. And so we're going to look at the first part real quick. Verse number 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. With these words, the angel, the angel announced the greatest event in human history. The coming of the Son of God. And first Gabriel told Mary not to be afraid because she found favor with God, and favor is a different form of the same word that the angel used in verse number 28. It's still another form, favor, which is a, is a word for grace. God was showing unmerited favor to Mary. By his grace, she would give birth to a son, and that's something the rest of us can't do. That's that kind of favor. Then Gabriel proceeded to explain the significance of this child, telling his person and work. Who was he? What would he do? The angel told Mary to call his name Jesus, which means what? God saves, or the Lord is salvation. And this is the first hint that Jesus would be a Savior. He would bring salvation to sinners by dying on the cross, and, and in shame, and then rising in glory. 
even from the announcement of his birth, his name testified to his saving work, that Jesus, listen, Jesus is the salvation of God. Beside him there is none other. Not only is Jesus going to give salvation, but he also said that Jesus is deity. Jesus is deity. He uses the word great. When Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, he said that John the Baptist would be great before the Lord. Right? But when Jesus is Lord, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. But Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. So, when, so Gabriel just said he would be great. Now, what's interesting is there was no limitation here. And if you go back to the Old Testament and you look at the word great in the Old Testament, it is only used without qualification for God. Only God. God is great, right? The greatness of your glory. And so Gabriel is testifying to the deity of Jesus Christ. There is no one that is greater than he is. Jesus is great in wisdom. He's great in power, great in love, great in the majesty of his divine being. His greatness is the greatness of God. And so we, we must not pass over that. The only person who's ever called great without qualification is God Almighty. Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus is God. Now one of the things that we see already is that strange contrast of meekness and majesty that defined the life and ministry of Jesus. He was, he was born in the humblest of circumstances. While on earth he suffered the humiliation of poverty, of loneliness, homelessness, rejection, persecution, and torture. Jesus humbled himself to very death. Yet he was still the divine Son of God, and God exalted him back to greatness by raising him from the dead. And so we usually get this backwards, don't we? We do. We exalt ourselves, trying to make ourselves greater than we are. And then God has to humble us, doesn't he? Well, he humbles me. He probably doesn't need to humble you, but he humbles me, right? Jesus did the exact opposite. He humbled himself and let God do the exalting. In fact, this is part of his greatness. Later, when the disciples want to know who was the greatest, Jesus said this. What did Jesus say to the disciples? He who is least among you is the one who is great. God does not define greatness by status. He defines greatness by service. You want to be great? Serve one another. You want to be great? Be lowly. I, I had to laugh. I can't believe I'm telling this story. My family's going to kill me. They're not here. They're on their way to Alabama, so we're good, unless you guys tattle. <laughs> um, but um, yesterday I was in the gym with my, my son, Jordan, and... Um, he was doing one thing, I was doing another. Anyway, we kind of came together. I wanted to tell him something real quick. And we're talking. 
And this guy walks right up and stands right between the two of us, acted like I didn't even exist, like I wasn't even in the whole building, and looked at him and said, are you a football player? And Jordan just kind of looked at him like, what kind of a question is that? And he said, uh, no. And the guy said, have you ever played football? <laughs> I, I think he was like wanting an autograph or something. I don't know what he was wanting, but he just kept going. And Jordan just kept, you know, saying, no, no, I'm a nobody is basically what he told the guy. He said, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. He said, I didn't even play football. I don't know how to play football. And just, just kind of lowering himself. And um, it was so, what was striking about it, it's so opposite of what you see going on when you go to the gym. Am I right about that? <laughs> you know, uh, I, I was telling somebody, no, I shouldn't, I'm rabbit trail. Let's get back to the, but anyway, if you work out, you know exactly what I'm talking about if you're at the gym. The big guys, they want everybody to know they're big. Jordan was over in a corner somewhere, and this guy found him, and was like, no, I'm not a football player. I'm nothing. I'm a nobody, okay? And uh, was nice to the guy, but it was, it was a weird thing. But one more thing, the, what was striking, the last thing, is I'm standing here, Jordan's standing here, and the guy literally stood between us while we're talking. Like I wasn't even there. And he was bigger than me, so he could get away with it, but um, that was beside the point. But what do we do when we have a talent, when we have an ability that is unusual or... Um, it's 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 definitely superior than at least the crowd we run around with. What do we want to do with that? We want to magnify it, don't we? Somebody, think about Jesus. Jesus was son of the Most High. He was far more qualified. And what did he do? Born in humble circumstances, and God exalted him so what do we learn we learn that we have one audience and one audience alone and it's God himself and we humble ourselves before him and any gift any gift at all that we are given came from him everything came from him and so therefore we humbly accept it I'm going to um, run another rabbit trail. This is not in my sermon, and if it's too long, just say something to me. One of the things that, um, one of the things that I find a lot with people, and you, and you see it in the world a lot, is if somebody is, is particularly what we would call blessed in the temporal realm, whether it's, it's financial blessing or some other kind of blessing, have you ever seen the guilt that people have along with that? They, they feel guilty sometimes, and so they try to do something to assuage that guilt because they see people who are not um, in the same position they are. And it's, it, it usually runs one of two ways. It's either extreme pride or extreme guilt. You ever notice that when people gifted? With Christians, we don't have either one of those reactions because we know that God gave everything to us any gift, talent, ability that we have, any chance meeting that we have that ends up temporarily looking very good, we take it all back to God, and it does two things for us. What does it do? Number one, it humbles us. And number two, it also gives us great joy. We're humbled at what God has done, and at the same time, we have great joy at what God has done, right? 
And that's, that's the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the most joyful person on the planet when he was here in human flesh. But Jesus also was humble and allowed God to exalt him. All right, I think I've beaten that horse enough. Let's move on. Let's move on. Gabriel said that, that Jesus would rule in majesty, sitting on the ancient throne of David. Uh, as Luke has already indicated, his earthly father, Joseph, came from the house of David, which meant that Jesus was David's rightful heir. Remember, one more time, that um, Joseph was not his father. But because Joseph was head of that household and eventually married to Mary, that made Jesus an heir to that throne. However, that's the human level. On the eternal level, Jesus was the heir to that throne even before he came to earth, right? From, found eight, from eternity past. Long ago, God promised David that his son would have a kingdom that will never end. 2 Samuel 7, 13 and 14. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. Uh, verse number 16. Your throne shall be established forever. These ancient promises were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the son of David and Israel's eternal king. And this is an angel's announcement. Mary would give birth to a son named Jesus who would be a great Savior, the Son of God, the most powerful ruler in the history of the world. Do you trust the angel's promise? Did she trust the angel's promise? It was written so that you would know for sure, that so that when you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you worship Him as your God, you serve Him as your King, and you will see Him in glory. It was written down for us to know that. Next, we have Mary's question. Look at verse number 34. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? She obviously understood the angel to say that her child would be conceived before she got married. And everyone knows that she was engaged to Joseph. And in those days, do you understand betrothal? There's a lot of things about betrothal that aren't true that we, we hear about. First of all, it's not engagement. It's not as casual as an engagement. It's more of a, it's, a, it's sort of a covenant. And there were two stages. Um, it, betrothal generally lasted a, a year, and betrothal was formalized in a public ceremony. And during that year, the bride was sometimes referred to as the man's wife. Between the, the formalization of the betrothal and the actual wedding ceremony, and the couple did not live together. They did not have sexual relations. It was a violation of the law, and it was uh, looked on as adultery. And since she was a godly woman, Mary was saving herself for marriage. And she was preserving her sexual purity as a prize, the way every woman should. But this raised the obvious question. How could she conceive and bear a son if she'd never been with a man? That was a question. That's a very legitimate question now mary did not ask this question out of unbelief here luke is drawing a clear contrast between her and zechariah between zechariah's doubt and mary's faith when old zechariah received the promise he asked how shall i know this that's verse number 18 how will i know this he wasn't sure whether or not to believe the angel he wanted some sort of confirmation. 
Mary asked a completely different question. Her question was, how will this be? In other words, she wanted to know, how is this going to happen? It was not a question of doubt. She was wondering how it was going to happen. Um, Unlike Zechariah, she believed that the angel's promise would come true. But she was still curious to know how it would happen. And perhaps to know whether or not there was anything that she needed to do. Maybe she needed to do something. So she said, how is this going to happen? Do I need to go somewhere or something? It was a good, honest question. And Gabriel gave her an answer as well as a sign to confirm the promise. Look at verse number 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Here's the how. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child shall be born and will be called Holy, the Son of God. And here's the sign. Ready? And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So he tells the how, and then in addition, he gives her a sign. As a good historian, he gives us the facts, Luke does. Mary's son will be conceived of the Holy Spirit. This is factual history. And what the facts declare is one of the most stupendous miracles that God has ever performed, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The word is overshadow. That's the word used, overshadow. The language echoes the Old Testament and reminds us that the Holy Spirit has been actively involved in everything that God has ever done. For example, in Genesis, we see that the Holy Spirit overshadowed the earth during the creation account, right? He hovered above the waters. He overshadowed the waters of the earth. The Spirit was there at the Exodus when He overshadowed the tabernacle and the cloud of glory in Exodus chapter 40. Later, the the Holy Spirit would overshadow Jesus, anointing Him for His earthly spirit uh, ministry. And it was by the Spirit that Jesus made atonement for our sins, Hebrews 9.14. And by the Spirit, He was raised from the dead, Romans 1, um, 4. And Jesus was sent the Spirit, I'm sorry, then Jesus sent the Spirit to overshadow the church, Acts 1, 8, by its great power and presence. And that is how we serve Christ today. The Holy Spirit now overshadows us. The Holy Spirit has been overshadowing God's people from the very beginning of time. Isn't that wonderful? Working with the Father and with the Son for our salvation. But no work of the Spirit is more miraculous than the work He did in Mary's womb, enabling the Virgin to give birth to the Son of God. The virgin birth of Jesus is one of the essential facts and great mysteries of the Christian religion. If we deny the virgin birth, we deny the faith. If you do not believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, you are outside the faith. No other way to look at it. According to Luke, Mary had a child before she had intercourse. Do we believe this or not? We believe it or not? If we say that Jesus was not born of a virgin, then either we believe that Mary was sexually immoral or that Luke wrote fiction. Or both. In any case, we defame the character of these godly people and contradict the plain teaching of Scripture. Even worse, the deity of Christ 
we deny the deity of Christ. We just deny it. If he was not born of a virgin, he was not God incarnate. Because it is his conception by the Holy Spirit that makes him the Holy Son of God. Jesus had to be born of a woman to be a man. But if he had been, had, uh, been the physical offspring of Joseph, then he would have been nothing more than a man. His virgin birth, his divine conception by the Spirit, these things were necessary for his incarnation. Are you totally lost? Have I lost you here? Okay. Only the virgin birth preserves both the humanity and the deity of Christ. His conception by the Spirit points to his deity. His birth from the woman points to his humanity. In the first 400 years of church history, uh, many of these doctrines were worked out because the way that the church affirms doctrine is to be attacked by unsound teaching. And that's why you have all the church councils. And all the church councils for the first 400 years dealt with the, the person of Christ, either his deity or his humanity in one form or another. And, um, and it's a very interesting study. But Jesus was not corrupted by the guilt of Adam. Fallen humanity could not produce its own Savior. He had to come from somewhere outside by way of divine initiative and intervention. Therefore, God sent Jesus into the world as a perfect Son of God without sin. And in case she had any trouble believing God, he gave her a sign. Unlike Zechariah, she, she did not ask for a sign, but God gave her one just the same. The sign that proved that these things would come true, that God is sovereign over the womb, is that the barren cousin of hers, Elizabeth, is six months pregnant. She who had been called barren. And then he declared with this memorable phrase, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Let me say it one more time. Nothing will be impossible with God. God was able to bring a child from the barren womb. And if he's able to do this, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, he could just as well make a virgin conceive and bear a son. Now, is there anything in your life that's impossible? Perhaps it seems impossible for your great sin to be forgiven, especially after the times you tried to, to not to do the sin and failed every time you tried not to do the sin. Perhaps you say, God couldn't save me because I have broken so many of His Ten Commandments. I'm an adulterer. I'm a liar. I've disrespected my parents. You name it, whatever they happen to be, I've broken His commandments. God could not save me. It's impossible. No, that is not true. With Nothing is impossible with God. It's, perhaps it seems impossible for your family to re, be restored after all the heartbreak and for joy to come again to your family. Maybe it seems impossible for your physical and financial needs to be met or for your work or for your studies or for your ministry to succeed. It may seem impossible to endure suffering that has come into your life or for someone you love to come to Christ. But the Bible says nothing will be impossible with God. He is the God of the virgin birth. There is no sin that He cannot forgive. 
There's no relationship that he cannot reconcile. There's no problem that he cannot resolve. There's no need that he cannot meet. There's no ministry that he cannot bless. There's no grief that he cannot comfort. There is no life that he cannot reclaim. There's no sinner that he cannot save. God is the God of the virgin birth who makes all things possible. So I encourage you, dear believer, who are you praying for right now for salvation? Be encouraged. Nothing is impossible with God. What are you praying for for a family to be mended? Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. What was Mary's response? Look at verse number 38. Mary simply believed it, didn't she? And that makes all the difference in the world. It made a difference in her life. Her encounter with the angel was her great confession of faith. Mary said, verse number 38, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let it be according to your word. Mary didn't raise any objections. She didn't hold out for an easier calling. Now, she didn't ask God to explain what would happen later on if she said yes. All she needed to know is what God wanted her to do. And once she knew, that was enough for her, and she was ready to do it. Boy, that's so unlike the rest of us, isn't it? Now, wait a minute. I'm supposed to forgive my enemies? Wait, not only forgive my enemies, I'm supposed to love my enemies? That's way too hard, Lord. I can love anyone but that person. You ever done that? How rare it is to find somebody who is willing to trust God for the impossible and then to obey Him without hesitation and without qualification. Mary was a woman of great faith. She understood that once we know what God wants us to do, any delay is a sign of unbelief. And she trusted God even when it seemed impossible. In her own words, she was a servant of God. And I must point out, that word servant is the word doulos, and it means slave. She's a slave. I am a slave. I'm a bond servant of God, his handmaiden. And she wanted to offer God humble, trusting, submissive obedience. She was committed to doing whatever she was told to do, and her calling was to serve. And you know what? This is a great honor. This, this is a, the greatest honor that any woman has ever been given to this day. Mary is blessed as the mother of Jesus, isn't she? That's all we know her for. But her service, and we cannot miss this, her service was accompanied by great suffering. Great, great suffering. To accept the virgin birth, she had to give up, had to be willing to give up almost everything that she knew and loved. She had to be willing to give up Joseph. We know from the Matthew account. He was, he was thinking about divorcing her, right? He was, he was thinking about divorcing her. She had to be willing to give up the dream of marriage. How could he consent to take her as a wife if she was pregnant with a child that was not his own? She had to be willing to give up her reputation. Imagine with me the, village, the gossip in a village like Nazareth. Now, I don't know how big Nazareth was, 
If I lived in Pound, Wisconsin, population 377, and everybody knew everybody's business. Everybody in town knew me before I knew anybody. That's the pastor of the local, the, of the, they call it the Baptist Church. That's the pastor of the Baptist Church. And they would say hi to me and start talking to me. And I'm thinking to myself, I've never met you before. Can you tell, at least tell me your name, right? And so imagine the gossip in a village like Nazareth where everyone would wonder who the father was. Everyone would speculate who the father was. To be frank, there were always going to be people who would call her son illegitimate her whole life. She lived under the specter of having an illegitimate son. Some might even have said that she deserved to die because the law demanded the death penalty whenever a woman was engaged and was convict, uh, convicted of, of adultery. Think about that. And I want you to think about something else. What kind of a God is it who allows his righteous ones to have such a soiled reputation. See, we in America have this idea that if I'm a follower of God, my reputation's always going to be stellar. And we see from Scripture that's absolutely not true all the time, is it? Remember Joseph back in Egypt? Convicted of, of trying to rape his boss's wife? Falsely accused of that, right? Sent to prison for it. God's plan is for his glory, and, so, and a lot of times it's not for our own here on this life, is it? And so there were other trials as well. But the greatest suffering came when Jesus grew to be a man and began to fulfill his ministry. And he was opposed on all sides. And at the very end, Mary had to endure his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and his bloody burial, and she watched it, the Bible says. Could you imagine watching your innocent son being killed in such a horrific manner? Just beyond words, what, what the suffering that she had. And if this is what it meant for Mary to submit to God's will for her life, then she said, I am the servant of God. Let it be according to your word. She was committing uh, to, or consenting to a lifetime of suffering for the glory of God. Now let me ask you a question. Does anybody remember her that way? No. She receives great glory as she should as the mother of our Savior. And dear believer, you might be in a situation right now where your reputation is being stained where you're suffering because of somebody else's actions, you're suffering for your belief in Christ, your walk with Him. Can I tell you, you may be suffering now, but if you're doing it for the Lord and out of obedience to Him, one day you will receive glory as well. You will receive that glory. She was able to offer such costly service because she had faith. She trusted God for it, her relationship with Joseph, her reputation, her town, her physical suffering, and the anguish of her soul. Mary believed in God and followed him in trusting obedience. And you know what? This is what it means to be a Christian. This means trusting God for our relationships, romantic and otherwise, not trying to make them go the way we want them to go, but letting God lead. 
It means trusting God in our daily work, allowing Him to see our success. It means trusting God for ministry, being content with whatever blessing He brings or doesn't bring, as long as we are faithful. It means trusting God for our families, asking Him to carry the burden for people that we love in our family. It means trusting God with our troubles, the impossible things that we face. And it means trusting God when we suffer reproach as Mary did. If we follow God, then people will be as opposed to us as they are to Him. But by faith, we will continue to follow Him. I want to close by asking you this question. Are you willing to be God's servant? Then surrender to His will, submit to His word, give up that illusion of control that you think you have putting things into his hands rather than bending to your own purposes. Live for God no matter what other people think and do this even a means suffering for the cause of Christ because by the grace of God, through faith in Christ and by the work of the Holy Spirit, we are able to say with Mary, Lord, have it your way. I am ready to do your will. Wonderful promise. From the Word of God. Our Heavenly Father, I feel like I stumbled through this whole thing. You are so great, majestic, and glorious, and awesome, and powerful. And the story is, is so compelling, and it teaches us so many things about you. Lord, the only thing I can ask is that you will make us people who have faith in you willing to do what you say, willing to do the hard things, knowing full well that while there may be suffering here on earth, there will be glory in eternity forever and ever and ever. And so, Lord, we thank you and praise you for Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith and the God of our salvation. In his name we pray. Amen.